The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Fire Lotus Temple. Um, nice to have so many people here for the first time. I've been thinking about patience a lot. <laughs> Who hasn't? Patience, cultivating patience. I've talked about this a lot because I think it's one of the paramitas, the one of the qualities um, that um, seems prominent in my life, being an, an impatient person, and I've really needed to cultivate patience. And I found this piece early on from Black Hawk, a Cherokee Indian, who said, because we can think of patience as waiting, right? He says, constant motion seems more important than waiting. But waiting is the time to prepare to build up the spirit, and to be rested and ready. When anxiety grips us, it uses up energy. It wastes our time. Patience or waiting creates staying power. That was the part that got me, staying power, so that there is no need to retreat, no need to go backward. Much depends on whether our waiting is a pause before going on, or an inertia that puts us in a trance. But when the mind and body and spirit track together as a unit to move mountains, the waiting is only a prelude to action that makes up for any lost time. And then I was reading, um, which I'd like to share with you this morning, some words from Larry Ward on Patience Paramita, which is he's the author of... America's Racial Karma, An Invitation to Heal. He's a senior Dharma teacher in Thich Nhat Hanh's lineage. He uses the pronouns he, him, as he always states. And he is a gem on the planet of wisdom and compassion. His name is um, True Great Sound. That's the name he was given by Thich Nhat Hanh, True Great Sound. And he's a true great sound. And I often listen to his Dharma talks. And this is one called Being a Real Human Being. So I wanted to share this true great sound. I understand Roshi uh, was here and talked about patience as well. So uh, I think that just goes to see that there's more patience <laughs> that we need to focus on. We both feel it's important. The world needs real human beings. In the Lotus Sutra, there's a section called Arising from the Earth. And in it, the Buddha is having a conversations with hundreds and thousands of bodhisattvas from all over the galaxy. We get great images in the Lotus Sutra, okay? The Buddha's having a conversation with hundreds of thousands of bodhisattvas from all over the galaxy. 
And one of the reasons they've gathered is that they're concerned about planet Earth. And they ask the Buddha, do you need reinforcements? <laughs> do you need help? <laughs> and the Buddha said, no. At this very moment, bodhisattvas are rising up from the Earth. Real human beings capable of living like the blue sky, like the sun and the moon that shine on everything. Shine on confusion, shine on clarity, shine on sadness, shine on happiness, shine on birth, shine on death, rising up from the earth. It's a powerful statement. Larry says, if you want to do something with your life, be a real human being. If you want to do something for your children, your grandchildren, be a real human being. If you want to do something for America, be a real human being. In everything you need to be a real human being. In everything you need to be a real human being. And it's already inside us. It's in every cell of our body. However, we have to be trained to develop it, cultivate it, and apply it. This is one of Buddha's fundamental insights, that one has to be trained to live deeply. Most of us assume that to have to be trained to be a doctor or a nurse or a pianist or a school teacher or a cab driver or a cook. The idea that we have to be trained to live profoundly seems to have never crossed anybody's mind. We have to be trained to live. It is one of Buddha's fundamental insights that training is lifelong. The Buddha designed his life so that nine months of the year he was in public service, and three months of the year, we call the Ango, was spent in in-depth training. He designed his day that way also. He had very long days, lots of people coming and going, lots of teaching, but three times a day, he withdrew for his own training, his own practice, three times a day. I think that's the dilemma for every one of us in this room right now, is how do we design a life that allows that to happen for us? Our society is not, this is still Larry speaking, our society is not structured for us to be real human beings. It's structured for us to be, co be consumers. And you don't have to be a real human being to be a consumer. Our education system, our economics, our political process don't give us time or create the environment for us to train ourselves in being a real human being. The training every bodhisattva has for, had for over 2,000 years is training in six things, and it's the same training the Buddha had when he was a bodhisattva and training through all his many lives that in the Chitaka tales we hear about. These six things are called the paramitas. They are practices that take us from the shore of fear to the shore of non-fear these paramitas, these qualities that are in us that we can cultivate and develop. 
from the shore of greed to the shore of non-greed, from the shore of hate to the shore of non-hate, from the shore of anger to patience. And my teacher used to say, what we find is this shore and that shore are the same shore. Einstein said that the same level of consciousness that created a problem can't solve the problem. You can only reinforce the problem with that kind of thinking. It's astounding what can happen through spiritual practice. Real human beings are not driven by revenge and prejudice. Revenge and prejudice and war are dark clouds floating across the sky of a real human being. We practice zazen, stopping and calming and looking deeply into life. Zazen, sitting and walking and eating and lying down to transform the quality of our minds, to bring out those seeds, to water those seeds. We say we want peace in the world, but we don't have minds capable of it. We wish people were more kind, but we don't need to retreat or go backwards. Our practice is to water those seeds in us, to create an environment around us that gives us a chance of being a real human being. What I'm trying to do with this practice is to cultivate my best self, the best Larry possible, the best Hojin possible. And when I do that, I manifest the way of the Bodhisattva. A bodhisattva is another name for a real human being. So I wanted to touch on this third paramita of patience. And what Larry calls the paramita of patience paramita is inclusiveness. And if you think about that, what happens when we're not patient, we're not inclusive? Something's going on that we don't want to include. We're impatient with it. It's such a beautiful thing, he says. It's a very popular word, as we know, in diversity circles. You want to be inclusive. He says, inclusivity is the practice of developing the capacity to receive what life gives us. Developing the capacity to receive what life gives us, not wanting it to be otherwise, not what we want to be happening, but what life gives us. To receive the pain, the suffering, and the disappointments, and to develop the capacity to take it in and transform it into compassion. It's interesting that I've said before the characters for patients, I believe in The Chinese character are an arrow pointing to your heart, and you're in a corner. Those are the characters. A person in a corner with an arrow pointing to their heart. In our own lives, we are provided with many opportunities to practice patience, to practice inclusivity, often under the most unexpected circumstances. So I wanted to share a few stories. Some some are old-time favorites. You might hear them again. 
about patience, paramita. There was once a practitioner of the way who specialized in the practice of patience. So bold. (laughs) In in Yiddish, we call that chutzpah. (laughs) After he, many years of hard work, he felt he reached his goal, that he had the perfection of patience. And he wanted to announce this fact to the world, so he hung out a shingle. Right? Some of us are that too. We get a little bit of insight, and we got a shingle hanging up, right? And he put a sign outside his hermitage, and it said, A nature like ashes. And one day, a young traveler was passing down the road and was struck by this very unusual sign and stopped to ask its owner what it meant. And the man says, It says, A nature like ashes. The practitioner replied, and then, I beg your pardon, said the traveler. Would you mind repeating that? And the sage says, it reads quite clearly, a nature like ashes. Oh, came the reply, but what does it say? It says, a nature like ashes. Excuse me, said the youth, but for some reason I can't quite make out the words. Would you be so kind to read them to me? They say, said the seasoned perfection of patience practitioner, with a calm demeanor of a patient person, a nature like ashes. The conversation continued in this vein for some hours. Quite late in the day when the traveler said, Would you be so kind, sir, as to read the sign for me? The sage, mustering all the force of his patience, says, It says, a nature like ashes, if you must know. Yes, said the traveler, but what does it say, please? Damn it, exploded the sage. I've told you once, I've told you a million times, it says, a nature like ashes. That's what it says. I see, said the traveler, as he took a step up into the air and displayed the resplendent body of Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. And there remains an ember or two in those ashes. Given another 20 years, perhaps you may, they may cool off. Good man, you'll have to wait around a while yet and keep working. In time, we will meet again. So, sound familiar? <laughs> Some embers in us burning, thinking we're such a patient person. And in our lives, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, is constantly appearing, providing us so many opportunities to practice inclusivity, patience with ourself, mostly with others. It's not two different shores. So this is the third paramita. First there's giving and then uh, diligence or effort. And Shanti is the uh, Sanskrit name. Um, and also this, the param, paramita is also a Sanskrit word. Param means the other shore. 
and ita means to have reached, to have reached the other shore. And there's another meaning of paramita, which Larry alluded to. It refers to the very best patients, the very best real person we can be, the unsurpassable patients. So what would this be? So when the uh, bodhisattva ideal was developed, um, this list of these unsurpassable ways of giving, of meditation, of precepts, morality, uh, meditation, um, right effort, um, patience, wisdom. The first three, giving morality and patience, have to do mostly with our relationship with others. Those are the first three. Oh, hello, bug. Sorry. Okay, just got to turn him over. He's upside down. Okay, good. He's like on his back, and I can't bear to look at my notes like that. Um, So other people are involved in our practice. Those are the first three paramitas we develop. So this is very much the bodhisattva way, to serve others, to actively engage with others so that we may cross over to the other shore um, together. And this gives balance, of course, to what could be otherwise a very self-centered striving for our own realization when we feel that we can't do that if some... Others are ourselves, so everyone's got to come along. And the Buddha was sometimes called he who is able to be patient, and sometimes um, referred to as the land of patience. And recently, a Dharma friend and I were talking about patience, Shanti, and they remarked that they felt patience was a good translation, but it didn't feel he- fully capture the depth and breadth of the Sanskrit term, which is always hard when we go to English, that he prefers to work with acceptance, maybe similar to inclusivity, because it partially it relates to, to um, relating to, diver- to adversity, adversity. It's also translated as forbearance, tolerance, and endurance. So one of those might resonate for you or all of them, what it is to be patient. All these various interpretations just point to overcoming or relating to the energy of our anger, our resentments, our hatreds, dislikes, whether it's manifesting in us or or in other people as ourselves, as situations, or maybe as beliefs that we find hard to accept or tolerate. And if we compassionately inquire, as I was talking to some people, we've got a good many of those ourselves, right? How do we meet frustrations and difficulties? How do we accept injury and insult? So part of shanti, our patience, involves our 
um, being able to or willing to, I'll use the word forgive, these injuries and insults, real or imagined. Because I imagine a lot of insults and injuries when I don't even know. So that's where that inquiry comes in. What, what are we believing? And then just that thought, the world it creates. Now I've just like, they're doing this. They must think this. Do I know? Uh-uh. Not always. Instantly appearing before us is Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. And thousands of guises challenge us, challenging us to perfect this paramita. Include it. Include everything. How do we practice when our least favorite person steps into view? How do we practice? We all got one, right? (laughs) Our least favorite person right in front of us. How do we practice? Can we step back and even welcome Avalokiteshvara right in front of us? Who out of great compassion, perhaps even unknowingly, mostly, unknowingly, is providing us yet another opportunity to cultivate acceptance. How many did we have this morning in front of us? There's a story about a merchant named Funda who one day encountered the Buddha and his disciples. When he heard the Buddha teach, he was so impressed that he immediately became a follower. Funda was brilliant and a wonderful person who eventually attained arhatship. And he, that means he accomplished his own individual practice realization. So the story continues. The Buddha instructed Funda to go to people and to expound the teachings. He, was, he assigned Funda to Brooklyn. And he said to him, those people who are living there are rough, mean Mean people, they insult you. What are you going to do? Funda told Buddha, I will consider them to be good people because they don't kick or, or hit me. <laughs> and Buddha said, well, what if they do that? What if they kick and hit you? How are you going to react? Funda said, I will still think they're good people because they don't beat me with a stick or throw stones. Buddha went on, oh, what if they do that? What if they throw stones, beat you with a stick? What will you do? I will still think they are good people because they don't injure me with a dagger or a knife. It's getting worse and worse. Then the Buddha said, if they do that, then how will you react? And he said, I will think they are good people because they didn't kill me. But the Buddha said, if they're going to kill you, what will you do? And this is no joke. This may, we may have been in that spot. I don't know your experience. But some of us have been there. And Funda replied, I will still appreciate them. Among your disciples are many who are willing to die, willing to end their lives because life is so painful. 
If they're going to my, take my life, I will be glad to let them. And Buddha said, if you have that much patience, your mission will be successful. And indeed, according to the story, Funda did have 500 followers. But how about us? I know for me, just sometimes a small insult, intentional or unintentional, can make a big upset. And I might carry it, not so much anymore, but a very long time, (laughs) using my precious energy, holding on, fueling the fire, keeping it going. So these words, patience, inclusivity, forbearance, and tolerance may seem very passive to us, but practicing patience is not at all passive. It's not a passive practice. In fact, it gives us the opportunity to engage very actively with our anger. Not only does Bodhisattva Avalokitesvara appear before us, we ourselves are nothing but that Bodhisattva. We are Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. We are the hearers. We are that true sound of the world, ourselves. And I was reflecting on the story of Funda, and I was thinking about my teacher, my first teacher, Daida Roshi and, and Shugen Roshi, who have endured a lot working with, within the Dharma for the past 30 years, 40 years. And I oh, totally admire his incredible patience firsthand. <laughs> because he has a very broad vision. He has a very broad view, a very inclusive view. And he's willing to work with when it's not. Buddha said the strength of a religious teacher is their patience. They should love all beings and therefore bear with them. The enemy of today may have been a friend, a relative, or a teacher in a previous existence, looking at past life. In order to really begin to look at such a statement, we have to open up to its many possibilities. How could we know what we meant to each other in the past or will mean to each other in the future? What do we mean to each other now? What do we mean to each other now? I was, um, I found this, um, Bobby Rhodes is a teacher in, um, from Providence, um, Korean Zen, and she studied with Master Son Sanim, and she was a hospice nurse, and in her early years, she was just amazed at the various states people would have as they died. And she was working for an agency doing private duty care. And one of her first cases was caring for a patient in the hospital on a night shift. And she's a Zen student, so she was like, had to be totally rewired because we're all up early and we go to bed early, you know. And this was the opposite. She had to stay up all night. So, um, the, f- the first person she, the nurses informed her that she had was a mafia boss. 
and he was in a coma approaching the end of his life. And she said the first night she stayed with him, it was like really hard to stay awake. She couldn't barely stay awake. So when she got off that shift, she went to Sonsanim and said, um, how could I make myself stay awake? And, and he suggested sit up straight in the chair and recite the great Dharani, Tahitian Dharani, Namokaratan, and use your malas, your mala beads, and say the mantra over and over, just quietly to yourself. And she did it. She did it for just like, it kept her up, so she would chant this great Dharani and just turn her malas. And she did it for about an hour, and this man, who was mostly unconscious for several days, suddenly sat up in his bed and said, I don't know what you're doing, but stop it. <laughs> okay, this is like the, how mysterious human beings are. And so I stopped, she says, and he went back into a coma. And when I got home, I told Son Sanim what happened. And he said, good, demons hate the great Durrani. His bad karma made you stop, but the mantra helped him. But she said, for me as a new student, to experience his consciousness, pick up on my mantra, let me see that we are really all connected. Nurse, Zen student, mafia boss. So a coma is not a coma. Anytime, any place our practicing effort and patience will affect and help others. When we encounter painful situations, we might step back and just ask some basic questions about our practice. What are we being given? What is there being manifested I find so difficult to deal with? These are the compassionate inquiries. We'll learn a lot about ourselves, we kind of brush by. But it's that reaction that's so wonderful. That's what we want as practitioners. Wow, this is strong. Avalokiteshvara in front of us. What is my intention? What is my vision? And when I raise those questions in myself, I remember to keep it light, keep it respect myself, Keep my answers short. Don't use the Dharma to beat up on yourself. That's not what it's here for. Don't use it to make yourself feel bad or others, nor to make us feel proud. We simply look at our experience. Just look at your experience. One more story in closing. It's a famous story in the Lotus Sutra. Jifugyo Bodhisattva, which literally means never be disrespectful. You know the story? Respect everybody all the time. In the Lotus Sutra, he is called the Bodhisattva, never disparaging. To whomever he met, he would say, you are practicing the way of the Bodhisattva. In the future, you will be sure to attain the way. So it's easy to say that to those who are nice to us. But he said it to everybody. There we go again, right? This bodhisattva. People got sick of hearing it. And one day they actually threw stones at him and said, get out. 
kill this crazy, insane guy. And he ran away, and at a distance, he yelled, you are practicing the bodhisattva. In the future, you will become Buddhas. All his life, he did this. Imagine it. The next person who triggers or upsets you, you say, you are practicing the way of the bodhisattva. In the future, you will attain the way. Next person who insults you or triggers you, you too shall become a Buddha. You too shall become a Buddha. So, we are all in this boat together, crossing to the other shore together. No one goes alone. But it's also a solo journey in many ways. You know, our, our Zafus and Zabatons kind of mark that. We're all together, but we're on our own island. <laughs> when we sit, we're connected, but we're sitting on our own little island. We bravely continue, step by step, training in patience, training in inclusivity, in forbearance, tolerance, endurance. We'll get discouraged at times and wish we can cross over sooner when we see ourselves doing something. We get angry. We lose our temper. We lose our patience. We atone. We become at one with that, at tone, at one. And then our heart opens a little bit more, just a little bit more. Some light gets in. We acknowledge our own intolerance, and our heart opens even more. We want a situation to change in our life, but we have no control over it. We are humbled by the relentless honesty of living, and our heart opens a little bit more. As we're humbled, as we're in reverence and awe of what's being given, that's the point of patience. The best, the very best, unsurpassable practice of patience is this, is this just our hearts opening a little bit more little bit more, little bit more. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.